I love this. I love that you are in church on Sunday morning, July 4th. I mean, you're going to have a blast tonight. You know, hopefully no one gets hurt. In fact, be safe tonight. Um, I'll, I'll share my, my 4th of July story with you a little bit later uh, because it has to do with my own rebellion against authority. But I think it's so interesting that we are at this point in 1 Peter on the 4th of July in the United States. Because here's what we have going on. Last week, we looked at how when we put our faith in Jesus, we become God's treasured possession. His people that he loves and cherishes, that he cares for. So Peter brings up as they're walking through some trials and some trouble. But what does he move to if you're going to be God's special possession, you need to Live your life as God's people. You need a lifestyle that matches God's claim on you. In the first place that he goes, a godly lifestyle, isn't, it isn't, it isn't um, staying pure, right? It isn't, it isn't a, a mind game. It isn't uh, fear. Instead, he goes to submitting to earthly authorities, Submitting to earthly authorities. Now, some of you, after hearing that, you want to go grab your kids and bring them back in here for this sermon on submitting to, to earthly authorities, but that's where Peter goes. I want you to live a godly lifestyle, and the first thing that he brings up is submission to the earthly authorities that God has put over us. Now, it's interesting because our Independence Day is celebrating what? Freedom from British authority as colonies to say we are no longer going to submit to King George. In fact, if, if you wanted to have a good intellectual and historical and biblical conversation today, it would be about how justified were these colonists, who were most of them God-fears, Christians, how can they rebel against King George? One thing you might want to look at is the list of complaints. There are 27 complaints that they had against King George. And one of the big ones that you'll probably recall from history class, because you, you, you learned this in history class, you did, um, that King George was taxing the colonies without allowing them representation. Right? They didn't have anybody uh, who was giving voice to what they needed and their concerns and what the tax rate should be or shouldn't be. No one was back in England doing that. But there were a number of other things, like, for instance, that there was a standing army, right? which we as Americans, I mean, you know, we feel occupied if, if, if someone had a standing army in our territory. We feel occupied by them, controlled by them. That's what King George did. He made the colonists house these soldiers, feed these soldiers, and then he used these soldiers to, they would say oppress, but control, and to make sure they continued to pay taxes and didn't push back. A number of different things. You can look at those complaints that they had against this earthly authority, but today is a day of celebrating our freedom as a country, but it is, it is in some people's minds, a rebellion against an earthly authority, King George. 
King George. It's really interesting. We had someone, we asked a question at the event yesterday, who, um, right after the song, Born in the USA, right? We, we asked the question, well, well, born in the USA, who was born furthest from the USA? And, uh, and it turns out that a man from Zimbabwe uh, was born the furthest from the USA. I don't know if David or Joe in, are in here, but I think it was like 13,000 miles or 14,000 miles from U.S. soil. And this is what, as we were talking with this, this man from Zimbabwe, we were talking about different African countries, and, and you have a missionary in Eswatini. And so I started talking about these missionaries that our church supports in Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, and, uh, and the troubles, the political troubles that they have. And this is what he said. He said, I believe Eswatini is the last ruling monarchy in Africa. And that's what he said. I don't know if it's true, but that's what he said. And he's, he's from Zimbabwe, so I trust his African history way better than mine. But he said it's, it's been a big problem, and the people are really pushing back. They are at their 1776 July 4th moment in Eswatini, right? So that's still going on. People are looking for freedom, right, when they feel a ruler is becoming tyrannical. Very interesting. The last true monarchy. I think, I couldn't remember if he said in Africa or just last true ruling monarchy. So not a token monarchy, but a ruling monarchy where the king calls the shots in the country, where he is the sovereign authority. Really interesting. Well, as I think about um, our, our, our searching and longing for freedom as a country, I actually think about um, some people. We talked about Francis Asbury on, on uh, New, Year's, New Year's Day week, and uh, he was a church planner from England during this time when we as a country were dealing with King George's tyrannical rule. And, and Francis Asbury is a church planner. He's boots on the ground in the colonies. He's traveling, preaching, uh, itinerant horseback rider. And, and his superior, John Wesley, is over in England. And John Wesley decides to step into politics, which, which is a bad idea, which is a bad idea. And he actually condemned the Christians in, in the American colonies for their revolt against King George, their talk of it. He condemned them. He lost a whole lot of respect from the colonists. And he also pretty much cut Francis Asbury's legs out from underneath him. He was trying to do ministry. He had his sleeves rolled up. He was here in America. And, and he lost his credibility because of what his superior over in England said, to condemn the colonists for the rebellion against King George. It's really interesting what we went through. And yet right here, we have a passage on July 4th about submitting to authorities. What does Peter mean by this? What he's talking about is there are Christians that he's writing to all over modern-day Turkey that are going through different trials and suffering, and as Christians, they are not popular in two ways, in society and then also politically. They're not. They have a hard time getting respect from the people that are over them. And so here's the question. Their spiritual leader is going to give them some kind of wisdom to help them. What's he going to say 
You know, is it their time to push back as Christians against the emperor, against the governors over them? What are they to do when they're not treated well for being Christians or just they're not treated well in general? You see, they feel alone. They feel abandoned, that they're suffering. They don't have someone over them in authority that really cares for them or understands their faith. And this is what Peter wants them to hear. Your life, while you might feel alone, what you feel and think, the hardship you walk through, the hard words that maybe a boss or manager shared with you, or maybe a parent shared with you, those things are not veiled from God. That he sees them and he knows them. He knows what you suffer through in secret. Your agony is not veiled from God. He knows it. He knows your life and he cares for you. And he is not passive. He knows everything about your life. And this is what Peter's going to bring up, that you live before the face of God. You and I as Christians, we might think that we have a public life and we have a private life. We have what other people can see and then we have uh, the secrets. And Peter wants to tell them, your shepherd sees everything in your life. But, But not as a humiliating, not a you should be ashamed. It's your shepherd knows you and cares for your soul. You see, this is a word, a call to submit to earthly authorities, but ultimately it's a call to listen to God, submit to these earthly authorities, and be cared for and known by God in all that you do. Okay, so we're going to start out with this the very first part of, of our section, verse 13 through 17, has to do with this. Living under authority. And we're going to talk about three realms, but here's the first realm. Living under authority. The first realm is this, that you are a free people serving God. So just do good. Essentially, do the right thing. This is point number one. Submitting to kingdoms of this world. Your freedom in conflict. You have a freedom that God has given you, and the question is, how do we live out our freedom as God's treasured people who has freed us in the best and greatest way to live the way that he created us to? How do we deal with earthly authorities? Are we to submit to them? Do we get a free pass to to not submit to any earthly authority? And this is what Peter says, verse 13. He says, as motivation, For the Lord's sake, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. This is God's desire for you that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. If you if you have a pen with you, I want you to underline that living as servants of God. And then Peter gives this statement that I love. This is worth memorizing. He says, 
honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see, Peter's words are directly opposing the spirit of our world today. We've talked about it before briefly, individualism. Our autonomy as a single human being that in our world is the highest authority. I say that as that's what many people believe, right? We're an individualistic society, which says that, that I can do what I want, and I demand the right to say what is good for me and what's bad for me, what I want to do, what I don't want to do. I believe that I am free as an individual because I am the highest authority in my life as an individual. It's hard. It is hard to live this out. You see, it's the crisis that our country faces. It's trying to arbitrate individual freedoms without an objective and absolute living God. Because if we take away the absolute sovereign, our creator, and we begin to believe or think that I can say this and it's true, it's true for me. If I take away the absolute living God as accountability, then individuals begin to fight for their individual sovereignty because their individual sovereignty is connected to their individual freedom. It's a crisis in our country. What can I do? How it imposes on you when we cut out our God in our freedom. You see, freedom without God really isn't freedom at all. And so we come back to the question of our, our government, our, our authorities in our society and our community. How do we relate to them as Christians? Now, do we blow them off? This is what Peter says, that you and I live in submission to God. He uses these words, for God's sake, right? Which we, use, we can use profanely today, right? But Peter's not. He's saying, for the sake of your God, He's going to talk all about relationships with government and with leaders, with authorities in the community. And here's his big motivation for them. For the sake of God, his name, that you represent him as his treasured people, I want you to do this. And he says to submit to those authorities. And he brings up ones that you and I wouldn't think. All right? Um, unclean words. The emperor. And the governor sent by the emperor. Peter gives a nice good spin on this, right? Like God does put these earthly authorities that aren't necessarily Christian over us, but there's a reason, even in God's common grace, that we would have order, that we'd have some semblance of peace. And how do we go about that? Well, these authorities punish those who do evil, right? And they praise those who do good. I had, I had a great email this morning um, from the officer from Arapahoe County who came and, and uh, let us crawl all over his SUV and to run the lights and the sirens yesterday. And he said this, he said, thank you so much, the event was great. And the response from your church, we felt, I felt very respected and it was great to engage with all the people at the event. Thank you so much, right? So there's the praise of saying this was really good. This is a good thing, right? And Peter says that's what our authorities should do. 
They tell us this is wrong, and they put consequences with it. And they tell us this is right, and they put praise with it. And the email was about thanking our church. Thanks for inviting us to be a part of it. It was really good. Peter right here says that there is a way that we can glorify God by submitting to authorities, even broken, even ungodly authorities. The emperor did not worship the one true God. I don't even want to go into it. Hollywood does a pretty good job of describing what Greek and Roman life was like back then. But the terrible things the emperors did, the impulses, the impure impulses that they acted out on at the highest level, the kind of partying that many emperors did, the kind of cruel things that they did to people they didn't like. It was horrible and it was awful. And right here, Peter says, I want you to honor, respect the emperor. Now, this is right before, um, this is about 10 years before the emperor is going to set Christians aflame, where literally the emperor is going to interrogate people throughout his empire about whether they are Christians or not, and will kill many who say they are. We'll tempt every one of them to offer a sacrifice, to worship in some way the emperor himself to recant their faith in God. And yet right here, Peter says, honor the emperor. Wow, that's really hard for me to swallow. You see, we need to understand it in its context. This is a pagan emperor, doesn't worship the same God as these Christians. And yet Peter knows that there is some good and some glory for God that you and I, even though we are free from earthly authorities, that we submit ourselves to them for a higher reason. And here's the higher purpose, that you and I ultimately, and at the highest level in our mind, submit to the greatest authority, to God himself. The reason that you and I as Christians submit to earthly authorities is not because we like them or don't like them, not because they believe the same things we do, It's because God asks us to. And when we submit to these earthly authorities and we respect them and we listen to them and we obey them out of our submission to God, God gets glory for that. And that's what Peter's at. For God's sake, I want you to sincerely respect the authorities, even the pagan authorities that God has placed over you. This is the win. Because this pagan emperor is going to praise you for some of the good things you do. Not all of them. But will praise you for some of the good things that you do. And that is going to silence the people that oppose you. People that oppose you, that want to shame you, they're going to be silenced when they see how you submit, respect, and honor your leaders above you. That is going to separate and distinguish you. And so right here we see that your freedom is in Christ is not so that you can do whatever you want. We are freed in Jesus in order to serve God way better. You know, right here, verse 17, it's a quick reference to what is the will of God? What does he want for me? 
And you get these short statements, but, but I love them because they, they, they put things in, in reference to each other. Like, for, for instance, you know, the first line is, is essentially about, hey, how can I respect the image of God in all different kinds of people? My neighbor might not believe the same thing that I do, but how can I respect that, that he and she are made in the image of God? How can I honor the image of God in them? You know, or this affection and love for the church. It's a, it's a call to hold on to affection for the family of Christ. I want my brothers and sisters in Christ to be dear and sweet in my heart, that I care for them. And then right here, live revered for God, that your life is going to reflect your relationship, that you serve and worship God. And then lastly, to honor the emperor, it's to respect the emperor. Now, here's what you need to understand. Peter himself would qualify this, and we've got a number of different passages, to where when God is the ultimate authority, or the emperor as the lesser authority is in contradiction with God as the ultimate authority, where do you and I fall? We fall with God. We're willing to sacrifice and risk offending and disobeying the emperor when it comes to serving and worshiping God. And there's probably no better example of that than the exiles of Israel, about how they lived in bondage to different emperors and different kings, and none of these kings and emperors were God-fearers. But some of them came to fear God after seeing the witness of the exiles. How they walk this line of serving God, but also being willing to honor the king of Babylon or Assyria. You and I get to walk this out. You know, politically, there are some different things going on, and this is a great message to talk about our government and its authority. Maybe you, you've heard of the Hyde Amendment, which I don't know exactly where it's at, but has, has essentially been um, an amendment that says we as Americans will not fund abortion. But there's a question of how long that's going to last and if this is the year that it goes away. Does that mean that you and I, paying our taxes, are, are guilty of supporting abortion, not respecting the image of God in unborn children? How do we respect this authority and yet be accountable to God? I want to answer that question before we move on. That does not mean that you are responsible. It doesn't. It does not mean that you are culpable or guilty but you do need to pray for these authorities over us because they are accountable before God for the decisions that they make, even for us as the American people. And while my heart breaks at this political movement, I also feel compassion for the people who would make those kinds of evil decisions at a high political level because, because as a Christian, I understand the judgment of destroying or hating someone who is made in the image of God. You and I are called to submit to an earthly authority 
even a, a pagan, even a secular authority, just like the Christians of the first century were. They were called by God to submit to that authority. We don't get a pass or an excuse. And we should expect that our officials' values will not align with ours. We should expect that as Christians. You and I are called to submit to authorities not because of their character, but because of the holiness of God in His character. That He created us to be led. That He even put these authorities, and even in His sovereignty, uses ungodly people like Nero to be the emperor of Rome. He does. Think about this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they walked this fine line. right? They lived in an impure and an unclean culture to them as followers of Yahweh. And King Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he tried to tell them that he was the ultimate authority. Said, hey, I can, I can kill you, I can execute you. And they were willing to say to King Nebuchadnezzar's face, you're not really the ultimate sovereign. We serve the ultimate sovereign. You and I have the same kind of testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We serve, we get along, and we submit to sometimes an ungodly authority. But that authority is never the highest. It's never higher than submitting to our God. That's the first realm right here. We have a freedom that God has given us that sometimes is in conflict with how we submit to earthly authorities. The second realm of, of authority is this. We are a free people working for earthly masters, serving an earthly boss. Look at verses 18 through 20. It says this, servants, servants. We'll come back to that. That's a key word, servants. He's talking to specific Christians. He says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God." Peter says servants, and he uses this word. There's this great word for like servant slave, and it's called doulos in Greek. And Peter doesn't use that word. He uses this word for someone who serves a household, oikonos, someone who serves a household or in a home. He says this about them. You know, he's not saying this is a lowly position. This is a respected position as a servant. It was good to have this job. And yet he points out the subordination relationship, right? You have an earthly master. You have someone, you show up every day, and you do what they ask you to do, right? That is a subordinate relationship. You have a master. I would use the word more like boss or manager, right? You listen to someone who gives you orders. Even, even you, there are some of you out there that are great business owners, and yet you work with clients, and essentially, you take requests from people. That kind of relationship. You work for them. You serve them. This is a business relationship. What he says right here is you serve them. 
you serve them as some kind of authority, whether you sign a contract with them and you are bound to that contract to fulfill this kind of service, or whether this is your job in pleasing your manager or your boss, it's an authority relationship. Peter goes from the government and then he goes to work life. And he says this, how you work and serve your earthly boss and managers and clients reflects how you serve God. There's a relationship there. You need to learn how to submit to that authority to work with people. Not everybody's going to treat you right. It's amazing that uh, Google reviews have given and Yelp reviews have given clients, customers, a lot of authority, right? I mean, they, you know, bad reviews are terrible. And yet, if you go to lunch someplace that you don't like, you can hop on Google and leave them a one-star review and some nasty comments, and it's going to ruin some manager or owner's day. I mean, it really will. You have a lot, a lot of weight there. And so the question is this. As we are walking through life and working for people, Peter brings up that people are going to mistreat us. That's going to be a common experience, not even just as Christians. We're just talking generally that some people are going to mistreat us. They're not going to be compassionate at all. They're going to be unjust. And here's what he points out. I want you to do the right thing even when you're wronged by others. As we serve God, as we submit to God, he doesn't give us the right to take revenge, to do the wrong thing to ignore authorities, doesn't do that. Uh, so here's, here's my example, right? Because he talks about what credit is it when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure. Okay, I endured a challenge, and you know this, you know this, some of you know this story. It's a 4th of July story. When I was a kid, I loved fireworks. But here's what you need to know. I grew up in Kansas City, and in Kansas City, within the city limits, fireworks are more illegal than in Colorado. I mean, Nothing. You're not set, if you have to light something, then it's illegal, all right? That's, that's the rule in downtown Kansas City. And so I was down there, and what was I doing? I was lighting fireworks off one Fourth of July in middle school, and, which is illegal, and you could be fined for it, and they'll take your fireworks and things like that. So I'm doing that. I'm also doing it against my parents' wishes, right? I'm... I'm uh, not only am I disobeying the government, but I'm also disobeying my parents, right, who told me don't do that, but I was away from them. And uh, what do I do? Find some fireworks and start setting them off. So here's what happened, right? I suffered for it. Let me tell you how I suffered. I was trying to light a firework, and it wasn't lighting, and a police car drove by, right? We just had a great event, you know, with uh, Rapo County Sheriff here, but this is my former life uh, in dealing with authorities. Um, what did I do? I tried to hide the wrong that I was doing. And so this firework that I was trying to light, I decided the best place to hide it in the moment was my pocket, right? And so I put this firework that isn't lighting in my pocket as I'm watching this police car, right? Does he see me? Does he see me? And then I hear my brother say, say these two words, it's lit. <laughs> and and I, I had already dropped it in my pocket, and it went off, and it set off all the other fireworks that were in my pocket. Pocket's a bad place for fireworks. Don't do that, right? Burn my leg. I was in bed. I was in bed for months after that. 
I suffered. I did. I had to get in a bath every day that was excruciatingly painful. Third degree burns. It wasn't healing. So after a month, I had to get a skin graft and have a, a full leg length cast. Uh, I suffered, right? Here's what Peter says. What good is it if you do the wrong thing, if you reject these authorities, if you disrespect them, and you suffer, you're disciplined for it, right? But think about the good when you choose to do the right thing, to submit to the right authorities. And you suffer because they're not good people. When you endure and you hang on to your faith in God and you say, I can trust God even enduring bad people, Peter says that is to your credit and that is part of the grace of God in your life, that your faith matures as we endure through unjust people, even serving under unjust people. It's a good thing for your sanctification, for your growth in Jesus. So for Peter, what does he do as he shares about the good for us as Christians to say, hey, don't give up, don't throw up your arms. Keep entrusting yourself to God. He is your highest authority. You serve him most of all. He's just, even though these, some of these people are unjust or mistreating you, I want you to continue to serve God and think of this. The suffering, it doesn't make sense if you just think about the earthly story, but think about the gospel story in all this. This is going to make sense. Here's the third realm. The third realm of authority, the Godhead. The Godhead. Jesus trusted the Father enduring his own suffering. Whoa. You and I aren't the only people to walk through unjust suffering in this world. Jesus does. Look at verse 21. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, Jesus, Jesus is in his cross is much more than this. But Jesus' cross is an example to us. As we look at Jesus' death, his saving example, Jesus was willing to obey and to endure being betrayed, being lied about, to be beaten, to be mocked at things that were not right or true about him and ultimately suffering the price of his life, not because of any wrong that he had done. He had only done right and just and good the things that pleased his Father. When Jesus was tempted to veer from trusting him, when lies and slander were made up against Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't answer those lies but he entrusts himself to his Father who judges justly. Jesus could have protested at the wrongs. As he's meeting authorities like Pilate, he could have said, all these things are lies, and you know it, Pilate. 
Do the right thing, Pilate. But he didn't. He embraced the plan of his father, and he was silent. He was quiet before these people that were lying about him in front of a big earthly authority, Pilate. Pilate, who thought he had the ultimate authority to let Jesus live or die, and he didn't. Jesus reminded him of that. But what is Pilate amazed at? He sees and he knows as an authority. He knows right from wrong. Pilate does. And he knows what's happening, that Jesus is suffering unjustly. He's being punished. The threat of execution is there, and it is wrong. Pilate knows that, and he is amazed at what? Jesus says nothing. No one is defending Jesus in the injustice that he suffers, but he takes that on silently. He receives that because he knows that his father is taking pleasure in his son's obedience. This radical mission to come and sacrifice his life. And so Jesus is silent, the silent sufferer. Then Peter moves on in in verse 24, and he talks about Jesus' atoning sacrifice. He says this, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay, so sin is brought up twice here, and I know sin's not popular to talk about today, but we need to define these two words. Sins, here's the first one, verse 24. Go ahead and circle it. If you write in your Bible, you got something to write with, sins right there. Notice how it's in the plural. So here's the image that Jesus is carrying, possessing our sins on the cross to make a payment for them. You see how it's it's plural. And here's how we define this word, sins. These are our failures, our ignorances, our rebellion against that ultimate authority, God, our creator, us saying no to him, us saying our authority is higher. That's what Peter's talking about. Jesus is bearing those actions and attitudes and thoughts on the cross, but then he connects it to this thought. He bore our sins so that we might die to sin. Circle that. It's singular. Because what Peter is talking about, Jesus carried the punishment for the wrong things that we have done in order that we might personally die to the master, the authority, the cruel tyrant sin. When he says sin singular here, he's talking about sin as a master. He's talking about sin as an authority that says, Gabe, do this, and I do it. I listen. It's terrible. It's wrong. It destroys me and the people around me, and yet I say yes to it. Why? Because it's an evil and cruel master. Jesus died on that tree so that you and I could say no to that master. That's what he means right here, so that we could say no to that master. Jesus' obedience is our example, but Jesus' obedience on the cross, his suffering unjustly for sins that he didn't commit, it is our ticket, it's our freedom, it's our key to be able to tell this cruel master sin, 
I don't have to listen to you anymore. I can serve God instead of serving you. And so this is Jesus' redemptive claim. Redemptive claim. That you and I, by the power of the gospel, can die to this master sin in order to live to righteousness. Peter says, if you believe and live in the story of the gospel, the story of the cross, you live and serve a new master. And here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to honor and respect the image of God in other people. He wants you to love the family of Christ. He wants you to fear God. And he wants you to respect, honor, submit even that pagan emperor who's done so many things wrong, that doesn't worship your God, yes, that's a part of the righteousness that you live to by Jesus' grace. It's the two-part contrast. We get to die to sin, to say no to it, and we get to live, cultivate, respond to, lean into the fruit of the Spirit. Philippians 4 calls it the things that are honorable and good and godly and beautiful that Jesus wants us to lean into that because his cross purchased us the ability to live out these good things under a new master. And then this final verse, for you are strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's not flattering to be called a sheep, even today, right? You know, oh, look at those sheep, what they're doing over there. They're just following that, that person, Right? but to be considered a part of the flock of God. And what does Peter highlight right right here? When you suffer these injustices, when you're mistreated, when you're overlooked, when you're not thanked, when someone took advantage of your generosity, when they tricked you, your shepherd saw He cares for you. He wants your soul to thrive. He wants your faith to last. When you and I suffer injustices, it's no reason to run away from the shepherd that cares for us. It's more motivation for us to entrust ourselves to the one who can care for our soul to the one who shares the good news with us that we can live to righteousness, what you need to remind yourself of when it's hard and you are alone and you are suffering is that he sees and he shepherds you. It's not truly in secret that you're enduring. Your God sees you. We might not understand the why all the time, but we know the how that we walk through these trials, that we persevere through them and endure them because it is before the face of God and by the grace of God. Our shepherd is leading us, feeding us, watering us, protecting us from things that we don't even see or understand or couldn't, couldn't observe. Just because we suffer injustices does not mean that we are not a part of the people of God or that God isn't actively shepherding us in this day and age. No, that's a lie. 
Now, for some of you, I do want to share this, that you're suffering something that you do need to share with someone else. Someone you can confide in, someone that you know that cares for you. You need to share with them. And there are many, many things that we can suffer that you should not be silent about. And you need to find that person that you can trust that will care for you and will help you. That will understand you do need to share with them. And so consider that. That because God sees what you're going through, perhaps someone else needs to know about this to care for you. Know this. There is a shepherd who cares for your very soul. And so even through the greatest trials, greatest hardship, the greatest tyranny of sin or tyranny on earth, that you and I have a God who cares for us by Jesus' grace. Father, I pray that you would help us right now. It's the injustices in the world that make me not want to trust you but I am not God, and you are. And so, God, I pray that you give us the grace to be able to say, God, I will submit to you. I will continue to do good, even when I see evil people flourishing and and wicked people over me, and they seem to get away with it. God, I'm going to trust you. I want to follow you. I pray for folks here that maybe they feel like they don't have a shepherd. They don't have someone that cares for them. God, I pray that today they would see you you were laid on the cross in order that we would know we are cared for by you, that we are called by the shepherd to return to you in faith and repentance. God, I pray for those that need to do that this morning to trust you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.